everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb officially from Sportsnet. He's got news on that. I'll let him deliver that to you later. But together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is a Kenny and Rennie training camp edition. We wanted to kind of check in and give you guys an idea of what we're seeing, what we're expecting, what we've learned about this team under its new direction under head coach Rick Bonus, uh, who's been eye-popping for us. And there's been a number of players who have, some players who maybe not taking maybe are not taking the best uh, advantage uh, that they can of the opportunities that they've been given, all this kind of stuff. Lots to talk about. Really appreciate everyone joining us. Uh, but to get to talking about that, let's bring in our main man, Ken Weave. Here he comes. golf course from yesterday so we're still trying to keep the summer alive and i guess that's maybe the reason why it feels like we're starting here with kenny and rennie i know we had a little show a little while back but uh we're going to start getting into the swing of things before we fully get into full-time kenny and rennie's as you know them back to us being uh you know every post-game show uh we're looking forward to it um, and uh, some exciting stuff happening for us in brewing. We're going to start trotting that out as these shows uh, come along. But, Ken, how are you doing, my friend? Tremendous, Sean. Great to be with you. Uh, we're hitting that fun part of training camp where folks are starting to look ahead to the regular season, but now we look up and it's still 11 days away. But, uh, yeah, it's been a fantastic summer overall, and looking forward to be uh, chatting a little bit more regularly with, uh, I mean, we still talk regularly, but with a camera and microphone on. Uh, definitely some exciting stuff and yeah, some great news, uh, able to get signed by the good folks at Sportsnet. So we've had a fun two years on more of a freelance basis and, uh, really looking forward to, uh, the season ahead and the, uh, further seasons ahead after that. So that was, uh, something we've been working hard at and, uh, super grateful for the opportunity and excited to see, uh, the, the growth uh, in our market that we've, uh, been, been grinding away at these last, uh, two years and change here. Yeah, a well-deserved uh, and well-earned opportunity for Ken here, who now is officially in the fold. He's been doing this for Sportsnet for a while. And as far as I've been concerned, he's been a Sportsnet guy this whole time. That's how we introduce him. That's the case. Uh, but it's nice to see uh, we have a big broadcast uh, meeting call that happens, um, you know, every Thursday at Sportsnet where we talk about, you know, the Hockey Night Canada games, the Wednesday Night Hockey games, the Monday Night, Monday Night Hockey games, all the big wigs are on there, the Kelly Rudys, the Elliot Friedman, the Kyle Bukoskis, everyone who's involved, you know, in front of the camera and behind the scenes on those, um, uh, where, you know, they hop on those meetings. And on the first one of the year, uh, neither Ken and I were on it because we were smack dab in the middle of some uh, some jets of veils. That's exactly what uh, our prior where our priority lies. So that's where we were. But it was announced on the call to everybody um, to uh, that that Ken was joining us. 
Um, and it was nice. Ken, I'm sure you got a lot of texts. I know Harn Ryan Singh sent me one right away and was like, woohoo, Harn Ryan, a guy who's been super, super supportive of us. And all you in the Kenny and Rennie universe know he likes to hop on this show whenever he can. He was really excited about that. So just love the idea that you're officially on board here, Ken, and, and locked up for for a number of years here, looking forward to it. Not one of the things it means that we just get to keep bringing more and more of these KNR takes. We're so happy to be back. And I got to say, one of the things that makes me happy to be back, Ken, is getting chirped <laughs> by the audience. And I noticed Mantle, the ball hockey right off the bat, giving it to you for your take on the Habs last year. If I do uh, remember correctly. Con- convenient take. It's a convenient take. Uh, that was from maybe uh, May or June, uh, not from September after their uh, tough off season had occurred. Well, I do remember that when we kind of went to Montreal and, and were following along with them, I yep. had said that this was a Canadians team that, you know, I didn't know what to make of it. I said that at that time, when it was all said and done, when they lost in the Stanley Cup final, I said, this is a team I could see kind of putting things together, but it's a team I could see missing the playoffs next year. I don't think either of us or any of us, probably including Manitoba ball hockey here, <laughs> thought that they were going to be as bad as they were. I mean, what a story. The last team eliminated from Stanley Cup contention in 2021, and then the first team eliminated from Stanley Cup contention in 2022. That is a re- uh, riches to rags story, unlike many we've seen before. But uh, I digress. Either way, it's good to have everybody back. It was really nice at the Dale Howarchuk, uh statue unveiling. I got to uh, bump into some people from the show, and this is one thing I'd love to say. I'd love to encourage to everybody, if you ever see Kenny and I out, and you want to come say hi, we love chatting with people from the podcast. That means a lot. One of the goals this year is to try and get out. And ha- I know we've been talking about it for a while, but we're trying to get some industry nights out there where you could all come and join us for a live airing of the show and uh, you know get to sit down and watch the game with us. We're really looking forward to doing stuff like that. So, again, if you see us, come on out and chat with us. Ken, I know you had people talking with you uh, at the statue unveiling event. Um, let's start there and talk about the unveiling of that statue, Dale Howardchuck. I just took a look at that, and I said to Mark Chipman as much after I did a one-on-one with him. But to me, that was a proud day for the city of Winnipeg. Uh, And boy, oh boy, I'm not sure you could see something like that handled as well as it was. Great job by True North, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I would say this uh, on one of the other, on one of the text chains that I'm in. I mean, we often talk about, you know, we were just talking about the Montreal Canadiens earlier. The way that the Montreal Canadiens handle uh, big events and unveilings and things of that nature, statues, uh, is probably the gold standard for the National Hockey League. But uh, I would say that it was just a fabulous uh, afternoon and early evening on Saturday. I thought that it was an absolute home run uh, with who spoke, what was said. Uh, I thought there was so many messages that came right from the heart. And I mean, a thing too, I mean, Crystal Howarchuk, obviously I thought stole the show as usual, uh, just some loving and kind and heartfelt words from her about what it, what the community means to her, what it meant to Dale, um, what it means to have him in, you know, celebrated in that kind of a manner. It was great to have the opportunity to speak with Eric Howarchuk as well, uh, to see the pride bursting from that family uh, you know, Dale's parents being there in the front row. Um, I thought our, Scott O'Neill's speech was uh, fabulous. Mark Shifley really speaking from the heart. Um, Paul Coffey sort of sharing that world view of Dale Howarchuk. Everyone in Manitoba was always so proud of Dale, but to see how he was talked about by his peers and people around the NHL, 
Uh, I think that was an important thing. And to see all the Howard Chuck jerseys, to see all the fans there, uh, the statue itself is absolutely uh, tremendous. And man, oh man, it was uh, it was great to see the emotion that people spoke spoke with and spoke about. And you, you talk about Mark Chipman. I mean, here's a guy who was thinking about 1981 when you know Dale Howard Chuck was unveiled to the community and how much pride that he had uh, in that moment itself. Um, as somebody who watched Dale, uh, you know, play as a teenager, I mean, man, I thought it was just a fabulously run event. And the one thing that we haven't really talked about, Sean, either personally or privately. Um, to see the pride in the face of his teammates as they were surrounding the unveiling of the statue, man, and, and to see, you know, the, these are grown men who played with Dale for a long time, but to see the the awe in their faces as the statue was actually unveiled and they saw it for the first time and you saw guys, you know, snapping photos and selfies and uh, I think there was one really incredible shot that, uh, that I noticed to uh, that was taken with Crystal having her hand on the stick of Dale Howard Chuck. Uh, man, oh man, uh, it yeah, was kind of a, yes. you know, this is a great one here. Uh, Tracy saying it was a goosebump moment. I mean, you could see what it meant to everyone that was in attendance and the people watching at home. I thought it was an absolute uh, home run event and just so fabulously well done. Um, first off, I, we're back here, so I'm going to be getting sidebars like crazy because it's just so much fun to interact with the audience again. T. Will, if you remember, Ken, I got that shirt. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. my wife's yeah. good high school friend, Rob Weeb, uh, no relation to you, had brought a shirt for us to sign. And it turns out that was T. Will's uh, shirt that we signed. Now, T. Will, if people know we were talking about Manitoba ball hockey kind of being on you, T. Will is one of the guys who has always busted my balls on this show. I'm not sure I would have signed that shirt if I would have known it was T. Will, Ken. The way he's always <laughs> on me on this show. I don't know. Uh, I'm joking. It was good. It's good. It's good to kind of put a not a face to the name. I didn't get to meet T. Will, but it was nice uh, for him to ask to do that. And we were more, more than happy to do that. Um, I go back to this, Ken. I grew up, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't cognizant. I wasn't old enough to be cognizant when Dale Howarchuk broke into the league and was playing as an 18-year-old. But I'll tell you this, growing up as a young kid in the 80s and like, you know, coming into my own as a hockey fan, and I was really early on, um, the city of Winnipeg was Dale Howarchuk. Like, that's the way that I always felt. Maybe it was because I was a kid who was so invested in hockey but Dale Howarchuk was the city of Winnipeg. And I, I don't think it's just because I was a kid that was into hockey. I think it's because Dale Howarchuk, not only was he phenomenal, but not only is he, in my mind, one of the most underrated players to ever play the game. I mean, I always have this debate, who's the best hockey player in the history of the NHL to have never won a Stanley Cup. I think for me, it's between Dale Howarchuk and Marcel Dion. I don't know that there's anyone else in that category that I could even consider those two stand above. But what I realized, you know, uh, as I got older and what you really see is evidence with when, you know, his peers talked about him, the way the Jets talk about Dale Howarchuk, the way his family talks about him, like, Dale Howarchuk represented this city so well, and that's why he was Winnipeg. Not just because he was a good hockey player, but because he was so invested in the Winnipeg Jets and the best Winnipeg Jet player by the age of 18. That's what Rick Bonus told us, right? It was clear. Yeah. He walked into training camp, and it was like, oh, my God, this guy just walked in at 18 years old, and he's the best player on the team. 
But off the ice, he was such a good human being. He was such a good ambassador for the city of Winnipeg. He never stopped being that. He loved playing here. He loved the culture of the city. We've talked about this on this podcast before. Winnipeg, it's a small city. It's got a little bit of the, you know, small town complex that it worries about how it fits in with the big leagues, you know. With with Dale Howarchuk, he saw the beauty of Winnipeg, the beauty of Manitoba, uh, was so proud to be a part of it, never left it. You know, we heard in that ceremony, this never stopped being his home. He was an important player because A, he was phenomenal, but B, he was such a phenomenal ambassador and wise beyond his years. And I, I, I just think I look back at him as that young man in the 80s, and I think 50, 60, 70-year-old men and women in Winnipeg were following his lead on how to be proud of Winnipeg and how to see this city. And I do honestly think when it comes down to the people who have affected this city over the years, great politicians, inventors, stars, you know, musicians, all of the people who have kind of helped define this city over the years, I think Dale Howarchuk is right near the top of that pyramid. And so that statue, I think, was phenomenally well done, well-deserved. Um, just an absolute, absolute excellent event and something I'm just so happy to be able to go and walk by. And for us, Ken, in doing TV, what a great backdrop that is going to provide. You are going to see us standing in front of that statue so often now. Uh, it's just absolutely great. Uh, but yeah, one, get away from- one, oh, yeah, just one quick one, just to wrap up the buffet uh, appearance there. And it just not just because you and I are from rural communities, Sean, but Dale, it was Dale felt the way about Manitoba, right? Spending so much time in Gimli and you know everything else about like it was, it was just he made he was proud of the province. Yes, Winnipeg is where he played his hockey, but uh, just really proud of the the province as a whole. And man, oh man, I mean, just to hear you know everyone speak about him, and I, I think too, just one quick one, just to kind of wrap up before we shift gears. I mean, listening, you know, we had a chance to talk with Mark Shifley before the camera went on, and, and Mark shared a, shared a little bit about attending an event the night before the unveiling, right? So Mark was thinking this would be a nice pop in. He would talk to a few people, maybe shake a few hands. He would have a good time. But um, he said everyone wanted to tell him their Dale Howarchuk story. So next thing you know, you've been there for three or four hours. And it was just such a, you know, education. Even Mark, who probably who knows Dale better than anyone on the Winnipeg Jets right now, uh, from a playering standpoint, because of his coaching, uh, you know, connection with him through his time with the Barry Colts, uh, just to hear, to see Mark uh, listen to those players share their stories, and then for him to share his stories about, you know, how Dale was the best coach he ever had, and all of those things. Man, oh man, it was it's just great to hear that passion in Mark's voice. And I, I know we've talked about Mark a lot, and you know this can be our little transition. But I expect that Mark is going to have an excellent season with the Winnipeg Jets. I think that he he knew that Dale meant a lot to this community, but to see the reaction of the community. And how they feel about Dale, I think, is something that's going to inspire Mark, quite frankly. Not just because he said he's going to look at Dale's statue on his way into the parking garage. Uh, I really think that he's going to be you know, even more motivated than he already was uh, to have an excellent season here. And, uh, I mean, to see, for Mark to see the legacy that Dale has left behind, I think that the legacy element is something that Mark feels very strongly about. And, you know, I think, to be quite frank, I mean, I, I don't think he's thinking it right now, but... I think there's probably a part of Mark Seifley that thinks, man, wouldn't it be awesome to have my statue beside Dale's one day? 
Uh, certainly not. It's not something he's thinking about right now. But I think, man, he, he must have had a ton of emotions going through him uh, at that moment and throughout the, the weekend, quite frankly. Oh, I think he would have. Uh, you're right. It's a good transition. And speaking of the top of the pyramid, uh, let's start there with Mark Shifley and his line in camp. So we haven't seen a lot of them. Uh, if you're a fan who's been watching the games, you've only got to see them once. So this is maybe more of an insider's take, or at least very least the people who've been going down and checking out uh, you know, the Jets' practices. But uh, Mark Shifley, on a line with Nick Ehlers and Kyle Connor, those guys have been zipping the puck around at an unbelievably elite level. That's what I've been seeing. Um, how much fun has it been to watch those guys, Ken? Yeah, you know what? It's impressive. And again, we were very curious to see what happens when the season starts. I mean, I, I did some research and I remembered it sort of just you know briefly uh, in one of the conversations of late, Mark, Mark played together in a very small, small sample size window um, in back in March, I believe, of 20, maybe it was January 20, March of 2021, I believe. They had this ridiculous game against the Calgary Flames where they were playing together and everything they touched uh, essentially turned to gold. Uh, and man, oh man, th- all three of those players are better players than they were in 2021. So... To me, I think this is a massive opportunity for them uh, to, you know, to peak and to really seize this kind of moment. Um, I really think that they have the potential to be one of the most electrifying lines in the entire NHL. And hey, that's not to say that they're guaranteed to have success or that they'll be together for the whole year. But boy, oh boy, they have the offensive capabilities that that some teams would dream of having a line like that. You have this incredible speed. You have three guys that are, you know, lights out fast. You have three guys that are excellent finishers. And then you have, you know, a couple, you know, Mark is more of a possession, puck possession player, but you'll have the creativity of Nikolai Ehlers, a bit of the East-West type of game at times. And man, oh man, with the vision that these three players have, there are going to be some fun rush. We saw it on that one drop pass on one of the, when the one game, you know, in the game that they played together, boy, oh boy, uh, they have the potential to be a very dynamic uh, line. And, you know, of course, they're going to have to defend. And that's part of the game as well. But, man, if you talk about offense and speed and ability to put pucks in the back of the net, that they'd be a scary line, Sean, for an opponent to try to prepare for because they've got a lot of weaponry within the three of them. Well, I'll tell you this. One thing that I see, and I think it's a good sign for the Jets under Rick Bonus um, and the way he's trying to change the way this team plays one thing that stood out to me about those those players is their ability to operate with just very, very little room. Um, I, I think what we've seen, you know, especially when they're most dangerous on their power play guys like Nick Ehlers, uh, Kyle Connor as well. When you see them and they get that, you know, that big wide spacing and are able to like either wind up or take their shots, they're really dangerous. But what I've noticed from both those players is how dangerous they are with a guy right on them. And I feel like I'm noticing that more often than I have in the past because Rick Bonus's system is really taking away the ice from players in camp. So you're seeing what it's like for these players to have to operate. So for example, Brad Lambert, who we're going to get to, we've seen what he's been able to do in games at the rookie tournament. And now in the preseason, when you give him a little bit of space, he was phenomenal in that uh, overtime against the Edmonton Oilers. But 
I feel like I don't see him with that much space in training camp because they're operating against this jet system that's going to be designed to take that space away. They're kind of two different points, but I wanted to get to the idea that I'm seeing that Shifley line operate still at an elite level without a lot of space, but it seems like there's not a lot of space because I feel like I'm watching this Jets team kind of catch on to Rick Bonus's system and start taking away the ice time. Today, Ken, uh, I don't know if you were seeing the same thing that I was seeing, but they were operating, uh, you know, on the power play, on six on fives, kind of man advancing, rolling everybody through. But the hustle at which Jets players are getting to positions is kind of staggering to watch, and it's more aggressive than what we're used to. Um, so I think that's an interesting point to make, but just to get back to Shifley and Ehlers and uh, um, uh, Kyle Connor, they're still just feeling each other out. Like yeah. you can see there's some passes out there that they're making that are like, okay, I see what you were trying to do there. Um, and this is, let's give these guys just a little bit more time to get there. And let's be honest, when we saw them play in that first game against the uh, Ottawa Senators, the one game that we've seen them, seen them play in their first game, um, they went out and, in my mind, kind of won that game with their skill, Kyle Connor especially, right? Like the Jets, I thought, were the worst team on the ice in that game. But that line went out and stole it away with their skill. I really liked how Rick Bonus after the game, came out and basically made that point that that's not okay. It's not okay to be the second-best team and pull it out with skill, whereas in the past, what's the message that we've always heard from the Jets coaching staff? Oh, I like their fight is what you know we'd hear from either Dave Lowry last season or Paul Maurice before that. They never had a really bad thing to say about that, and anyone who watches this show, Kenny and Rennie, knows it grinds my gears more than anything the Winnipeg Jets do to put in a half-assed effort and then steal a game away with skill and seem to not acknowledge the problem with putting in a half-ass effort. They've got a coach that's not going to let them get away with that, that with that this season. Um, and, you know, Ken, I want you to kind of speak a little bit on that because we talked with, uh, with Mark Shifley about that the next day, and he'd said about this that it's going to be different this year operating under that premise. Yeah, no doubt. And what, what I loved about that uh, entire thing, you know, we appreciated the honesty from Rick Bonus. Uh, I also liked the response from Mark Shifley saying, you know, admitting himself that, yes, I extend my shifts a little bit too much at times, but that's something that we need to take a lot of pride in um, as a group. So I, I like the fact that he attacked it head on. Uh, I think in the past uh, there would be some concern uh, about how that message might be received. Uh, some people were up in arms thinking, oh, well, Rick's making a, a point in the media. Well, Rick Bonus had already told the players that, probably after the first two periods, never mind uh, saying it on the podium afterwards. So uh, the fact that, uh, you know, that was handled the way that it was. And, you know, let's be honest, people were wondering um, what, how the clues, you know, how would Mark Shifley respond? I mean, we heard all of all the things about how great the situation was. And, you know, between, you know, how much Mark Shifley loves the communication from Rick Bonus. Oh, well, would this be the thing that puts a, the first uh, impact on the relationship. Well, no. Mark Shifley knew he stayed out a little bit too long at times, so he faced it head on and said he needed to be better at it. So uh, I love the way that he handled that. I love his intent. Uh, basically, Sean, we talked about this off air uh, the day that it happened. Mark Shifley, for all the people that said Mark Shifley doesn't want to be criticized, he flat out said he wanted to be coached. And guess what? A new coach looking at some of your flaws that you don't necessarily look at, that's coaching. So... For a guy that wants to get better, 
I think Rick Bonus is a great fit for Mark Scheifele in terms of A, uh, getting Mark Scheifele to have the best version of himself come to the forefront, and B, Mark being receptive to coaching uh, in a manner that you know we haven't maybe seen as often publicly. But I, I love the fact that, and I don't mean that to sound you know negatively towards Mark. I just don't think that he's had someone who's been this direct with him at various points. And I quite frankly think it's something that uh, Mark is looking forward to as well. Well, I think it's something that's necessary. I mean, clearly something was wrong with the Winnipeg Jets last season. And I think that uh, it's it was a problem that Dave Lowry wasn't able to figure out. And I think when you hear the kind of language from Paul Maurice saying when he left that this team needs a new voice, I think it's safe to say he couldn't figure it out either. Or if he could figure it out, he couldn't get the, the players to follow his blueprint to get him there. So something needs to be different, right? And this is clearly something that is different. Hey, we talked about it on this show. We talked about, you know, the one time that uh, um, uh, Mark Scheifele was benched by his coach. It's not something that stuck, or st- stuck around for a long time. We had... Rick Bonus on this show, and he told us in no uncertain terms, Ken, that he walks out, he hates gray areas. Everything right. for him is black and white. This is what I expect from you. If you don't give me that, this is what's going to happen. And one of the things that he said was ice time. If you aren't going to do what you're going to do, what you're supposed to do, you are not going to get the ice time. So here's how it's going to go. It's been laid out for these Winnipeg Jets players. It, it is going to go like this. This is what I want from you. If you're not doing it, I'm going to come tell you that you're not doing it and I need more. If you're still not going to do it, I'm going to start messing with your ice time. And if you're still not going to do it, well, then someone else is going to move in permanently into that spot. And then the way I take that, Ken, is it's up to the general manager at that point to find out how to fix that situation. But I love the idea that Rick Bonus is here saying this isn't a, the country club Uh, that maybe it was before. This isn't a free pass given to certain players of a certain nature uh, or a certain, you know, uh, aptitude when it comes to the game. These guys are going to follow suit. And that was, that message was relayed the very first game that Mark Shifley and, you know, the rest of the top line played. It was not good enough. The coach came out and said, I don't like the harp on wins, but... This isn't good enough. This is okay. We're This isn't okay. We're too slow. We're putting in turnovers. Our shifts are too long. We all know who he's talking about. He knows we know who we're talking about. The players who come out and talk to us know that we know that. And I love the idea that the screen has been pulled aside and we're taking a look at, you know, who the Wizard of Oz really is at this stage right now. I love the idea of a coach bringing not only the media, but the fans in on what's happening right now on his expectations on those expectations not being met because when it's a larger conversation then we all know what's happening well you and i had this interesting conversation ken everyone said you know someone said to us in the media we're talking kelly moore was part of this from cjob as well and everyone kind of said well it's not like paul maurice wouldn't have been working on these issues behind the scenes he just didn't bring it in front of the media my take on that is probably, it's probably that all of these things that we thought that Paul Maurice should have been working on, he was working on behind the scenes. But we don't know that for certain because there was no accountability. Paul Maurice put himself in a situation where there was no accountability for him to anyone other than 
you know, his players and his GM and so on, so on and so forth. But he created a scenario where he shielded players from the responsibility that comes with doing what's expected from you and falling short of those goals and, and, and reflecting on that in the media and reflecting on that in the fan base. So do we know for certain that if, if last year Mark Shifley was told by his coach you're not putting in enough effort? We don't know that. He never said it in front of the fans or in front of the media, if he'd said it in front of the media, darn right, we would have expected that he would have said it behind the scenes. But because it was never said in front of the media, and and because some of the you know the people put it here, I liked our game, that, that idea last year. There were times when we heard coaches say, I liked our game, when there was no reason to like the game. That was clearly a smokescreen to hide the players' poor effort and try and figure out things behind the scenes. But how do you know if accountability is being had behind the scenes if you won't talk about accountability in front of everybody else? Yeah, I don't. I don't feel quite as strongly about that as you do, and I and I don't think for one second that that Paul Maurice didn't have conversations about wanting a little bit more from certain things. But um, I never said that. But we don't know what was left said, and we don't know what was left unsaid. No, I mean, I'm just saying too, and that goes for Dave Lowry too. I know a lot of people think it was, uh, you know, Dave got a lot of grief last year too, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that there would have been times where Dave had expressed some of his concerns to his players as well. But yeah, I mean, it's refreshing for us, Sean. Um, I would, I would say that, uh, I mean, one thing about the whole public, you know, Paul Stastny said he loved it. Well, guess what? Uh, I mean, Rob Mahoney is mentioning it in the chat now. Well, yeah. Paul Stastny is 36 years old. He might feel that way because he entered the league at a time when that was commonplace. Most players maybe aren't as receptive to that as a Paul Stastny. So, I mean, people of a certain age or certain nature love that. But that's not to say that today's player loves that. But what today's player wants are answers. So Rick Bonus has said it very clearly throughout this training camp. He wants to have the players asking questions, and we've seen them asking questions every single day at practice. And... He wants to be able to provide solutions and answers. Uh, you can't, even with the maximum amount of you know, preparation, you can't always prepare for every single thing that happens on the ice. There's still going to be some read and react, as Scott Reneal mentioned on Saturday. But I do think that this group, after underachieving massively last season, was ready to be challenged a little bit harder and a little bit firmer. And they understand what's at stake, not just for them as individual players, but also, what is at stake for the organization, Sean, given the uh, contract scenario for the core players on this team? Uh, part of that, I think, goes back to the whole leadership conversation we had when Blake Wheeler was removed as team captain. Uh, I think that we've had a lot of teams taking more ownership. And now let's see what that translates like when the season starts. But yeah, I mean, I like a lot of what I'm hearing, Sean. There's no doubt about that. Um I just don't know if it's as simple as saying it's just the new. I mean, I think the new voice is certainly an important part of this equation. I just think that we're taking the players off the hook completely if we're talking about accountability only lying at the feet of the past coaches. And I've and we've we've talked about this before. And again, this is this is not a me versus you. I just think that the truth is somewhere in the middle. But what we do know for sure is that nobody wants a repeat performance of last year. So sometimes you're not as receptive to change as you may be until you have this level of disappointment in your life uh, after a tough season. So, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see how things get rolling when the season starts. So 
Again, I'm not disputing your claim. I'm just saying that it's not that simple or a clear cut for me in terms of why the changes are happening. I think there's a ton of other, you know, factors that are behind the scenes that we won't know about because we were never, we have not been in the room. And now being back in the room, we're able to have conversations. So uh, I love the Superfly Snooker reference. Uh, Sean would probably have a, a great headbutt from the top rope. There's no doubt about that. Uh, anyways, that's a long-winded way of saying uh, I think it'll be a fascinating study over the course of the season how this team responds. Because this is my sorry, my my long-winded way of saying this, Sean. I think Paul Maurice would have loved this level of effort in terms of back pressure and back checking and defensive commitment, but he wasn't able to get it basically since 2019. So um, that that too. So it's a reflection a on the coaching to a degree. But it's a reflection on the players because I don't think the players were as receptive to listening to what coaches maybe were saying in the past about the... I mean, we heard it at every training camp. They just needed to be better at defending. They just lacked the commitment level to get to that level. So now there's a level of urgency that we haven't seen since a 2018, if you will. So it's one thing to do it in training camp. It's another to do it over the course of an 82-game schedule. This will be a hard style to play, but Sean, it will be a fun style to play if you're a skilled player because you're going to be dogged and determined on the puck all the time. And let, guess what? If you don't have a team that's great at defending, you want to have the puck more. And it's a lot easier to get the puck more when you're pursuing in terms of back pressure and playing a better structured game. Okay, better structured game, that's going to make you better at defending. Uh, let's start getting into some of the things that we're seeing in training camp and some of the players that you think may be on the bubble, may make this team that would, you know, in the bottom six, the bubble kind of areas, round out this team and make them better at defending. Who's caught your eye, Ken? Oh, man, Sacramento-Linen has caught my eye the most of any player in that in that conversation. Now, he should catch your attention. He's 28 years old. He is more of a finished product, but you haven't seen this version of the finished product at the NHL level because four years ago when he was with the Carolina Hurricanes just getting a, a taste of NHL action, he wasn't as mature a player. He wasn't as good a skater. He wasn't as feisty in terms of his physical play. So for me, at a time where you're looking for guys to stand out in the bottom six, Sacramento Linen has stood out the most. Now, having said that, I didn't notice him as much on Saturday night yes. against uh, yes. now again that's not a knock on him uh, I thought I like I like the premise and we saw it again today at practice with Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton and I think there is a great fit for him potentially to be there what we also know sorry they weren't together today uh, Morgan Barron is up in that spot because Rick Bonus wants to see him there because he's missed a lot of the time here uh, the other thing about Menelainen he's a big strong guy he can skate he can help your penalty kill he gives you a little bit of feistiness. I think he's got a good offensive skill set as well. I think I'd like to see him on the fourth line to start the year at worst. I think there's a chance he could play on that third line at some point. Uh, Morgan Barron needs a chance based on what we saw last year. And we're going to see that in the next two games, I would imagine. Uh, but he's really stood out in, the, in terms of that bottom six role. Uh, Jansen Harkins, I think he's had a couple of okay, okay outings. I like his penalty killing work. I don't think he's made, he made a really nice play shorthanded the other day to create a shooting lane, went through the, the feet of the defenseman, got a good scoring chance. But he hasn't separated himself from the competition, and I thought he'd have a chance to be on that Lowry line potentially to start the year. So 
Now he's missed the last two days of practice. Where does that leave things? I'm not sure. Um, I'm going to leave Brad Lambert out of the conversation right now. We're going to dig into him a little bit later. But those are the guys that have sort of stood out to me. I like Kevin Stenland. I think as a depth player, as a guy who's going to have a strong American Hockey League season and be a call-up option, um, I think that David Gustafson has been steady. Uh, he has not, you know, he doesn't, people are going to say, oh, well, he doesn't generate a lot offensively. Well, he makes players around him better. I thought he was he was very good at creating chances for his line mates in game one. Uh, I've liked him throughout the opportunities he's been given. Uh, but I think he has another level to reach. The more comfortable he gets, the better he's going to play. Uh, Rob, Mikey Asimont did a nice job, but he's a depth player. He's a, he's a guy who's an AHL guy who's going to be a call-up potentially. Uh, works very, very hard. Um, you know, showed a little bit of offensive flair as well. But, I mean, he wasn't going to make the opening day roster, which is why now he's going to go down and play on the first line with the Manitoba Moose. But it's been a very interesting camp. Uh, there hasn't been as much separation as we suspected there might be. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how the coaching staff views the situation as well. I'll turn it back over to you, and then we'll we'll get to Lambert in a few minutes. Well, I mean, this is the thing that's uh, like I, I want to make it upfront and clear. We, you know, I, I love talking about like the behind the scenes media kind of stuff uh, to kind of allow people in on our process and see how we uh, figure this kind of stuff out. If this was like a Paul Maurice run camp, I feel like I'd have a very good idea of who is going to make this team. As it stands right now, um, I don't I don't know what to expect. I, I like <laughs> what direction does Rick Bonus want to go in? Does he want to make this a really hard team to play against? Does he want to you know add and infuse more skill? Does he want to take a look at what the Jets have had and say I think with different combinations I can unlock more skill. There's more skill here maybe than I he felt like he had in Dallas. So we could go with like more of a top nine and split things up because we've talked about this before. It sure doesn't look like he's going in the spread things out direction. It's especially if you're putting Connor Shifley and Ehlers on the same line. I mean, that's as loading up as you can get. And I used to talk about Paul Maurice and say, I felt like he picked his lines by saying, who's my best player? He's on the first line. My second best player, he's on the first line. Third best player, he's on the first line. There you go. We're set, right? Well, that very much looks like what's happened with that first line. And if there's any card that has been shown by the coaching staff here. It's that they intend to go in the season with those three players playing together. They have planted that flag. I wonder how much planting that flag has to do with not only sending a message to those players, but maybe sending a message to, you know, the team, the players, the media, the fans, you know, of, of like definitively cutting that little bit of a tie with Blake Wheeler that they started by taking the C away from him and now are continuing by maybe saying, listen, those days of you and Mark Shifley, I know that we'd go away from that, but Paul Maurice would always end up going back to that. Maybe let's put that idea behind us at this stage. We need you thinking of a different role on this team. Maybe it has something to do with that, but not knowing how he's going to pick this team or kind of what his philosophies are, a guy like Jansen Harkins to me, Ken, is really in limbo at this stage and potentially maybe even in a little bit of trouble when it comes to this lineup because, look, if they want to go top nine, maybe uh, it's Jansen Harkins' opportunity to finally kind of get a spot and say, listen, I've always wanted to show what I can do skill-wise. Here we go. But if they're going to go with a bottom six that's more of a grinding, tough style – 
you're right. A guy like Saku Manalainen is probably a more valuable player than Jansen Harkins is at this moment. So that is one of these big question marks that I have in camp. Another big question mark. Morgan Barron, we don't know where he fits in. He's a big body. He's kind of more fit in. Like, look, if you're Saku Menelainen, I think you're taking a look at Morgan Barron coming back into camp and thinking, ugh, that's my competition right there because they're both big bodies. They both have that little bit of skill. You'll notice that Saku Menelainen in the, was it the Ottawa? Ottawa, Chodrag, yeah. Right at the end. So he's got that skill. It was a really good shot. He followed it up with a really good save by the goaltender there. So he's got those moments where he looks like he can contribute offensively, but when he's not, he's not costing you. And he's actually helping you because he's grinding on the other team. So Morgan Barron is a guy like that who probably has more of an upside, but what th- there's another question is Rick bonus in this for the right now. Is he thinking to himself right now, Saku Menelainen, and maybe a little bit ahead of Morgan Barron? Is Morgan Barron going to be a better player at the NHL level? Yeah, I think so. And he's got more time to do it. But if he's into the right now, then you got to start approaching this different. I don't know what his philosophy is. If we're talking the right now, well, then let's broach the conversation and talk a little bit about Brad Lambert, because I'll tell you this right now. The line that always sticks out to me with Rick Bonus is guys have a tendency of cutting themselves. <laughs> Brad Lambert has not cut himself from this team. And Rick Bonus said as much here today, uh, or not here today, but earlier today when we were talking with him. Brad Lambert, to me, if, if you are taking a team and putting it together with no consideration of how young a player is or how you develop him or where the team is at at this place in time, Brad Lambert has caught the eye at every single opportunity he's been given. Again, at the Young Stars Tournament, he's coming here now. He's one of the better players on the ice in that last game against Edmonton. This is a player that if you were just taking all the other noise and all the other considerations that coaches have to consider out of this, I'm telling you right now, Brad Lambert would make the team. And I am the last guy to be saying this. I'm the first guy to always say to the fans, pump the brakes with the young guys. Fans do this every year. They did it with Nick Patan. They did it last year. I, you, We talked on this program. I think fans did it too much with Perfetti. They were ba- making a bigger deal out of Perfetti than he, than he was last year. I'm not saying Brad Lambert is the second coming and he's going to walk into the NHL and he's going to you know, be one of the best players. But I'm saying just on the audition aspect of this come in and show us what you can do brad lambert has shown at every turn something to keep you interested in him i don't know and he did not tip his cap at all today with bonus i don't know if he's going to say to himself am i going to give this guy an opportunity if you do then i think you're back to the idea of that top nine you know scoring lines and then a grinding fourth line or or at least a shutdown fourth line involved in there the interesting part about this is Rick Bonus has very different ways that he could choose to build this lineup and create what kind of team he wants them to be. I don't know which direction he's going in. Ken, do you have any clues? Well, he did let one thing slip during that conversation uh, today. He said he has two more games to show something. There was something I'd have to go through the, the clip itself, but uh, this is my quick rebuttal. Uh, I've loved everything that you said about Brad Lambert. Yes, he was one of the most electrifying players in each of the two games that he had played. 
but he played against the Laval Rocket and the Bakersfield Condors. So he's looking good against the competition that he will most likely be facing at least at the start of this year. I'm not saying – this is what I would say, Sean. Going into training camp, if you had asked me where I expected Brad Lambert to be more likely to land and play this year, I would have said the Seattle Thunderbirds of the Western yeah. Hockey League just because of their – you know they're hosting the Memorial Cup this year, I believe. Um, the other thing I would say now, there's almost zero chance of Brad Lambert playing in the Western Hockey League this year. Uh, I think he will play games with the NHL level this year with the Winnipeg Jets. I'm not convinced yet that he, and I know that you didn't say that you were either. I'm not convinced he's in the opening day lineup, but I would say he's worked himself into the discussion yeah. for the opening day lineup. I want to see what he does against NHL defensemen. Uh, I want to see, I would also say another thing, Sean, and you saw it too. During one of those three shifts in the overtime, Jesse Pooley-Arvey, Squee- it may have been interference, but that was the first time that we saw a young 18-year-old go up against a NHL veteran, and he squeezed him out nicely against the boards. There may have been interference, but all I'm saying is I need to see more from Brad. I've seen a lot, and I've been incredibly, incredibly impressed by him. Sean, you and I were both there when he got drafted. I loved right out of the gate he said, you know, basically he flat out said he's going to make people regret letting him slip to number 30. And I love that confidence. All we heard about go. Yeah, but not, not everyone falls from top five pick to 30th overall. So I love the way that he handled it. I love that. He said last year was going to be my, you know, the year that is the, you know, the, 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 the odd year, not the real me. Um, Everyone asked about his confidence. Well, I don't see a guy who lacks confidence, Sean. I see a guy who exudes confidence I love the speed of which he plays at. I love his ability to generate offense. I love the fact Rick Bonus threw him over the boards three separate times during three-on-three overtime and then gave him a chance in the shootout when he beat the goaltender but couldn't beat the post. Um, I loved everything about Brad Lambert. Am I sure that Brad Lambert can handle the defensive responsibilities required of being a top six forward potentially at the NHL level? No, I'm not. He's going to have to show me over a longer period of time. But what he has shown you is that he doesn't lack confidence. He has, Rick Bonus said it today again, he has NHL speed today as an 18-year-old player. That is probably the toughest skill to bring to to that level. Um, He's got a great shot. He's doing a nice job away from the puck. I think it's been impressive. But for everyone who wants to give him the job on the team already, let's see how he does this week. And then the beauty of the whole conversation is that Brad Lambert could still be in the opening day roster, even if he's not in the 23-man roster that's submitted. That may be a ease of situation or whatever. Um, but I, I love the way that he played. He's in the discussion. But again, I want to see a little bit more this week when he's playing against, uh, you know, let's say Chris Tanev per se, or you know, Tanev may not play this week. It's maybe a bad example. But Rasmus, what is he going to be able to generate the same amount of offense? against Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin. And if he does, then all of a sudden we have a a conversation about him potentially being in the opening day lineup. So uh, he's done a great job of getting himself just into the discussion, especially Sean. And here's my other counterpoint to what you said. If Brad Lambert had not missed one week of training camp with an injury, then we'd have a better indication 
of what he can do against NHL players from watching him, even in the practice sessions. But he's done a great job of making up for lost time, and I want to see more of him. That That's how I feel. I love the fact, before I turn the buffet back over to you, I love the fact that we had Mark Shifley's perspective on this very subject, and it was a friendly reminder to all those suffering from recency bias. Mark Shifley led the Jets in preseason scoring led as an 18-year-old. the NHL in preseason scoring. Right. So, and and how did that work out when the season started? He yeah, played, he I think, seven it's, games. It's he said it's level. a night and day difference. Uh, he basically level. told us this morning, he said he remembered talking to his dad. He's like, he wasn't saying, man, this league is easy, but he's like, this is going more smoothly than I thought. And all of a sudden the real game started and then things got really difficult, which is normal for any 18-year-old. That's not a knock on any 18-year-old player. It's hard when the games start for real. So for everyone that's saying he's an automatic lock as a top six player, just take a deep breath, enjoy what you're seeing, enjoy what you're seeing, and let's talk about it in about a week's time when we have a little bit more of a sample size. But there's no, the beauty of this conversation is that nobody thought Brad Lambert was a remote possibility for the opening day lineup, even when he was drafted, let alone when this camp opened. He's worked himself into the discussion, and that is a testament to Brad Lambert. And the best news about Brad, he's getting better. No matter what happens in the next week or 13 days, he's getting better. Uh, um, I'm going to build on that a little bit. <laughs> I let's, do. Let's just put it like this way. Common sense tells us Brad Lambert is not making the Winnipeg Jets this year. Um, I don't think that he's going to. I, But I, I think that the fact that he's – put himself in a situation where he really hasn't shown the flaws that you're waiting for, you know, again, to Rick bonuses, that line, which I love players have a tendency to cut themselves. He has not really done anything to cut himself. To me, that's the win already. They've already won. The Jets have won. And here's why I'm going to give you a little bit of the background on this. Two years ago, when he was 16 years old, I looked at Brad Lambert uh, and he exploded onto the scene in the world juniors. I thought that he was going to be a top five, if not top three pick in the draft this year. I don't, I I had no idea what happened, but we've got lots of very good friends in the Finnish media. And I talked to them and asked them about his season this year. And they'd said, look, it was a disaster. It was a disastrous season for Brad Lambert. Um, And what their concern was, they said, look, he can still skate. He's still got all the things that you saw him do on the world stage at the World Juniors when he was 16. He can still do all those things. There was real concern. And if you want to know why or how real that concern was, just take a look at the fact that he dropped to 30th overall. But there was real concern that his confidence was shot and he would maybe not get it back. To your point, Ken, you talked about, does he look like a guy who's lacking confidence? Not at all. He's walked in, and whatever confidence he issues he may have had, it looked like he squared them away before he stepped on the ice with the Winnipeg Jets this year. And now going forward, all I've seen from him is a player to have every reason to believe that his confidence is going to grow and grow and grow. So I take a look at this, and I say – I. I would always, I would almost coach it like this. I'd still prefer if I'm a Winnipeg Jets uh, uh, team member and I'm trying to think of what's best for him. I would still he, he rather go and develop a little bit at another level and just keep that confidence going. But any concern that I had that 
any other team in the league had that had him drop to 30th, I'm telling you right now, I think what we've seen from him is enough to make a lot of other teams in the league think, geez, we should have we should have taken a flyer on this kid. I think his confidence issues are fixed. I think what it means is we can expect Brad Lambert is going to be in the NHL for the Jets at some point, and he's going to be an impact player. That wasn't a given not too long ago, but that's a big question to be answered, and I personally believe we've seen it answered here at camp. All right, we got to switch yep, gears. And one, got- one quick one on this, just a quick one. This is a good question from Wrench Dozer. Why has Lambert not signed an ELC yet? Well, we don't know why, but what I would also remind people of who have forgotten, Mark Shifley basically signed at the end of the preseason uh, that first year as well. Uh, my prediction would be that it has something to do with signing bonuses. Um, you know, generally speaking, uh, if I'm if I'm pontificating about what could be the difference here, uh, based on what you just said, Sean, you probably have the agent of Brad Lambert saying, yes, I know he dropped to 30th, but he was at one point a top five projected pick, and we'd like our signing bonus to be a little bit higher. So this is not a reason for, for concern. I would also say the reason why it wasn't signed going into the year is that there are probably some question marks over what the best development path for Brad Lambert might be, knowing that the WHL, AHL, and NHL were all possibilities. So I don't anticipate this being a problem whatsoever, and it will get taken care of. Um, Before we move on, I just wanted to make sure we welcome back uh, some of our sponsors, one of them being the Johnston Group, who have been with us since the very beginning here. Uh, We just absolutely love our association with them and want to say you won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan employee benefits proudly administered by our friends, our good friends at Johnson Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues, and Teladoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan can benefit your business by visiting chambersplan.ca. So good to have them back. And we also wanted to welcome back Cambrian Credit Union, uh, another uh, organization we're just so proud to have um, an association with. One of the things we love about Cambrian is Banking for free with unfee, save $220 per year. Simply set up a recurring direct deposit every month to your Cambrian checking or savings account, and you qualify. No minimum balance is required. And can we also want to welcome our good friends uh, to the podcast, Vittorio Rossi uh, Clothiers? Um, I know a lot of people like to have conversations about how good we look in our suits. Uh, well, Vittorio Rossi, they are the reason we look as good as we do. We are bringing them on board, going to be working with them, uh, and just uh, want everyone out there to know if you want to go and look absolutely top-notch, first class. I'm a guy who didn't know how to put anything that wasn't <laughs> denim or a T-shirt together for my entire life, and Frank and the boys at Vittorio have made me look absolutely phenomenal. I Hey, when I go on Hustler's show and I go on a lot of different shows, people always comments you know uh, and i love the comments i love the idea that people think that i'm one of the best dressed guys in town vittorio rossi is the reason for that you're going to be going there this year as part of your deal with sportsnet as well ken uh, we're so happy to have them on uh thank you for joining us frank and the boys and we're looking forward to you joining this ride with us um yeah and, and if you go see them tell them kenny and rennie sent you 
Uh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, we'll get a little bit more into that, but uh, let's uh, let's get into the defense because to me, um, this is one of those things that's a little <laughs> bit more clear. I still think, for the most part, there's one starting lineup spot, uh, not starting lineup, but there's you know there's one spot in the top six that's open, uh, and I think the competition for it is pretty obvious down between. Uh, Stanley, Sandberg, and Vili Hainala. Let's get your thoughts on it, Ken. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Vili Saturday was a great example of the camp that Vili Hainala has had, quite frankly. Uh, moments of absolute brilliance, uh, some hiccups. And the one thing that we did see that has been different maybe is years in the past, Sean. Uh, the head coach came to his defense when one of those mistakes ended up in the back of the net. Uh, absolving Hanel of some of the blame, saying that the forwards were not there for the quick up, uh, easy outlet pass for him that would have prevented the turnover and the goal subsequently. Uh, I think that Billy Hanel has gotten better and better as this camp has gone on. I think there were times early on when he was playing, uh, I wouldn't say tentatively because he was very involved in the play, but he wasn't getting a lot accomplished and his risk-reward balance was not there. Uh, what we did see on Saturday night, which was one of the reasons why he remains in consideration for that spot, Sean, is his ability to distribute the puck on the power play. Absolutely brilliant with his puck distribution. His ability to look off his opponent and find a guy for a one-timer or find a guy down low. Um, Hanla was the reason why Cole Perfetti scored that first goal. I mean, Hanla makes it just a brilliant pass to Pierre-Luc Dubois down low. Uh, Perfetti cleans up the mess and just does a fabulous job. It's been interesting. Can he, can he give you enough offense to nullify what he might give up on defense? That we don't know. But what we do know is that he probably has to, in order for him to take the next step as a defender, Sean, he needs to get those minutes at the NHL level. Because he can defend well enough at the AHL level. It'll be up to him to adjust at the NHL level. How much patience do Rick Bonus and his staff have with that process? We're about to find out over the course of the next week. Um, I've liked... A lot of Vili Hainala's camp, but I think he has another level to reach in terms of his consistency. And if he wants to knock Dylan Sandberg out of that spot, he's going to have to outplay him in the next game. It looks like they'll play together, Sean. At least that was my interpretation from today's pairings, is that we're going to see Hainala and Sandberg together one more time. But this time Hainala was on his strong side and Sandberg was on... The, oh, no, sorry. it was Hainala was back to the right side today and Sandberg was on the left. I think Sandberg has had some really, again, some really strong moments uh, and some moments where some, you know, where situations I would say like this. He's made the right read, but he didn't get there quite on time or the play didn't quite develop at the same rate. So uh, right now I would say the Jets are more likely to be looking for, again, this is one of the clues that Rick Bonus laid out for us. Right now the Jets are more likely to be looking to add a, a penalty-killing defenseman to their mix, but... Rick Bonus also said on the first day of training camp, 24 goals from the defense is not enough, and he wants to get to 40, and one of those players that can help you raise that number substantially is Vili Hainala. So I think the, the the competition is still wide open, but I think that Hainala and Sandberg would have the step above of Logan Stanley right now. Um, so I'm glad that uh, I'm seeing a lot of what we're seeing from uh, from the fans when it comes to Billy Hanla right now, because it was starting to feel like Billy Hanla was one of those guys that when you're on these shows, believe me, we feel, we feel the pressure from the takes that the fans have. And Hanla was starting to be one of those guys that if you just didn't say that he was the next big thing yeah. and that he was bulletproof in his game, 
you'd get attacked by a certain segment of the popular fan, the Jets fan populace for doing just that. But I'm noticing a lot of people here are noticing what I noticed. Now you talked about it. Billy Hanla, I'm going to tell you right now, Billy Hanla at this stage, already at this young age, we talked about Brad Lambert having elite NHL skating already baked in as an 18 year old. Billy Hanla is elite at doing something that is extremely important. If you want to be an offensive defenseman and that's, getting the defense to commit in one spot. So he'll fake the shot at the net and get the defenders to commit to what he looks like he's doing. And then he moves it in a different direction. He's, he's good at freezing the, the, the defenders and and that creates lanes. It creates scoring opportunities. He's already at a stage where I, he's not elite NHL yet because like some of the guys who are elite, the Kale McCars and so on and so forth, those guys are just like, they blow your mind with it. But Hanla is very, very, very good at that. He's also extremely mistake prone. And we've seen this. We were watching in camp. He was heading down ice, made a nice play, and was heading up ice, and then turned the puck over to Evan Poli in the very first uh, scrimmage. Is that what it was, Ken? Very first scrimmage. Uh, and Evan Poli came down, and they wow. almost scored on that play. Um, but, it, th- I mean, this is an AHL. This is a career AHL defender stripping the puck away from a player and heading down the other way. Now, people may say, yeah, so what? He made a mistake. It's not a big deal. What I'll tell you is you don't see a lot of Nate Schmidt or Brendan Dillon or Dylan DeMello or Pionk or Morrissey making those mistakes in training camp. So they stand out. I know people want to say, you know, he's young, he's learning, blah, blah, blah. But you're trying to make a team. And part of making that team is trying to convince your coaches that you aren't going to cost your team. There is a number of examples of Billy Hainala at the NHL level costing his team goals with mistakes. We saw that continue in this camp here. And, and that's, the, that's for me where Billy Hanel is right now. He's stuck in between this guy who can really help you offensively and moving the puck, but also a guy that for whatever reason keeps taking unnecessary risks or getting caught in making mistakes and being just a little bit too mistake prone. So to me, he's not there yet. And, I, and to use Rick Bonus's line again, players tend to cut themselves from what I've seen He's given numerous instances where he may have cut himself on this team. Now, Rick Bonus, we talked to him today, Ken, and he'd said time is running out for these on-the-bubble players, and every shift counts. I'm not sure there's a player on this team that those comments were directed at more than to Billy Hanel. I think the, the idea that he's sending across is – there's no more room for bad shifts. There's no more room for egregiously turning the puck over or getting caught in the wrong spot on a play. There's no room for that anymore. You have to be bulletproof going forward. And I do think Vili Hainala has to be bulletproof going forward to give himself a chance. And even at that point, I think he's given too big of a book on himself, showing himself as mistake prone to be that confident in making that choice. So, and, The final thing to say about him, as good as he is offensively, that's a job that he would maybe need to take away from a guy like Pionk or Morrissey to to say, we're bringing this guy on the team because he's got this capability. But if he's not on the bench watching other guys who are more capable at that than he is, and right now Josh Morrissey is more capable at that than he is, 
then I just don't see the fit being there. I don't think a spot has opened up for Vili Hanela. So I don't think he'll be that guy. I expect him to start the year with the Manitoba Moose. Then, to me, it gets down to who's going to be in that top six or not. Again, if you talk about players cutting themselves, Stanley, to me, has been more mistake-prone than Sandberg. Sandberg has a very quiet confidence to his game. He plays off the puck really well. When his teammates get in trouble in their own zone and they need a release valve, he is always there. It's one of the things that he quietly does really, really well is when you get in trouble and you look over, he just seems to be standing there wide open by himself. Move the puck to me. I'll quiet things down and I'll move it out this way. I think he has done the best job of showing the coaching staff what his strengths are and not giving much of a glimpse of what his weaknesses are. Uh, that's how I see that uh, that uh, uh, shaking down. Now, I want to make it clear. I don't necessarily think that L- Logan Stanley has had that much better of a camp than Billy Hanla. I think Billy Hanla has shown the potential to be a more high-end player. One of these players you have to s- send down uh, through, through waivers, one you don't, and that's going to be the deciding factor in my mind. Well, and that's the thing we've talked about throughout this camp. I mean, what's going to happen on those fronts when it comes to players who can get through without waivers and how do the Jets feel about their depth overall? Are you going to risk um, you know, having someone have to be put on waivers or is there going to be a trade coming, right? I mean, that's the other part. Johnny Kovacevic is a great example. I mean, as a six foot four defenseman, I mean, if you're the Arizona Coyotes and Johnny Kovacevic is on waivers, aren't you putting in a claim? I mean, it's a free, it's a free look at a guy that's, you know, been developed for the most part now hasn't had much of a chance at the nhl level of course but um he's a guy that could probably help some teams in the nhl so is he the number seven instead i mean i still do think there is a trade happening or coming for the winnipeg jets um that will bolster their forward group as well but this thing's going to come to a head shortly sean i mean there's still a week i don't think it's decisive enough that these players have distinguished that they have won the job we've asked rick bonus constantly after almost every game if he's seeing any separation well the separation is starting but it's not wide enough to say that even dylan sandberg is guaranteed to win the job i would say he's the front runner but i think this competition remains open but when we get down to friday night i think rick bonus is going to put a few of his cards on the table uh, i think he showed a card today even though when i asked him about it he dropped the the we'll see we'll see We'll see if Brendan Dillon and Nate Schmidt are potentially going to be a shutdown pairing. Well, we'll see. In this case, I believe means that, yes, to start the year, that's a pairing they'd like to use. And I'm here for it. I've said this to you almost all of last season. Those two guys played well when they played together. They had some tough moments at times on other pairings. But when they played together, they had a pretty steady stretch. So... Uh, we'll see how that develops. Uh, we saw today the other thing that people have forgot or maybe weren't aware of, Dylan DeMello back with Josh Morrissey. I had speculated going into camp that we might see Neil Pionk and Josh Morrissey together, but it looks like this coaching staff is going to go back to what has worked well for them in Dylan DeMello and Josh Morrissey, and then we'll see what happens. I mean, today Neil Pionk was skating with Logan Stanley, and some folks were up in arms. For me, Logan Stanley is a placeholder for the guy who wins the job. Right now, is that not how you interpreted today's events? I guess so. I guess so. Not really. Did you have another thought on, did you think that Logan Stanley is going to start the year with them? 
I, I, yeah, I said that. I think that he will. I think Logan Stanley is going to be uh, um, on that roster, but I'm not convinced that well, he won't be playing. He won't be in the press box. I know, but I'm. I I just think that uh, there's a chance that he's going to be in the press box. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I glean too much from what you're talking about. I just think that he'll he'll be the seventh defenseman. I think Sandberg is going to get in there. The Kobe Savage thing. Well, I that's what I just really said. He's the place. Logan is the placeholder for the guy that wins the job between Hanela and Sandberg. That's right. will be with Pionk. Well, that's what I said before too. I didn't say Pionk, but that that was the point I was making. Anyway. Um, I want to talk about one thing before we do go, uh, because people have been asking about it. Let me see if I can't get to one of the starred comments. But people have been asking um, uh, about Dubois and potentially his future. Uh, having Labrador Dubois Perfetti, will this help convince Dubois to reconsider his future? So this is, I'm going to pump a little bit of Sportsnet content coming up here. I'm not sure if anyone saw it. I tweeted it out, but we also ran it on the network um, on Friday. But I did a one-on-one with Bones. I've also done a one-on-one with Wheels and a one-on-one with Pierre-Luc Dubois as well. The Pierre-Luc Dubois to me was the most interesting uh, of those three sit-downs that I did, not saying a lot, considering that Bones, you know, had some really, you know, interesting comments about, you know, the, the team and the Wheeler stuff and that we talked to Wheeler, you know, shortly after he was stripped of the sea. Here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a breakdown of part of the uh, part of the uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois sit-down because I think you should go see it. It's really interesting. But Pierre-Luc Dubois had been saying a lot in the summer that the media kind of blew everything out of proportion. Right. Uh, And that, you know, he was never leaving and all this kind of stuff. Well, one, I asked him if the reports about him saying to the Jets or his representation, his camp saying to the Jets that he plans to pursue unrestricted free agency at his first opportunity. He says that's not true. Okay, that's an interesting point to be had. Two, I said to him, though, the idea of your uh, you say that this is blown out of proportion. The media made a bigger deal out of this than it was. I'd said to him, can you not see from a Jets fan's perspective that your agent talking about how much you would love to play in Montreal is something that wouldn't kind of get Jets fans a little riled up or questioning the relationship. And he admitted, yes, that, you know, that, that is as he should. I mean, come on, you Jets fans out there. I know what you thought of that. That's tough to hear a player talking like that. He taught, he, that makes it sound like he's going out of town. The third thing that he said, and I asked him this, and this is, you got to go check this interview out. I asked him if Jets fans should have hope that there's a long-term relationship in the offing between Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Winnipeg Jets, he said that they should have hope. So from Pierre-Luc Dubois, he is not pouring water on the idea of being here long-term. I will say this, Ken, armed with that information, I talked, I asked, um, uh, I asked, Kevin Cheveldayoff about that. He didn't want to talk about the future. He only wanted to talk about the present. I may be wrong in this. What I gleaned from that, Ken, is, is there's no risk in a player like Pierre-Luc Dubois saying, I'd love to be in Winnipeg long-term, only to get traded if that's what's being talked about behind the scenes. Whereas if you are Kevin Cheveldayoff and that suddenly there's pressure to sign a guy up long-term and you know that it's heading towards a trade, all the risk uh, is with the general manager. He's the guy who looks like he didn't get the deal done. The player just looks like, hey, I would have loved to have stayed there, but I got traded. What can I do about it? I don't control that fate. Um, I guess uh, that's my long kind of winded idea of talking about what we talked about on Sportsnet. You guys should ch- check that out when it comes out. I'll tweet it out when it comes out. But Ken, what are your thoughts on where Pierre-Luc Dubois lies with this organization at this stage? 
Yeah, I mean, he's where he stands on this stage so far is he's the 1B center of the Winnipeg Jets. And depending on how things turn out, uh, he could be the 1A center. But uh, right now, I don't think – I think it's status quo. I feel the same way as I have from the beginning. Uh, we'll see how the year goes. And then Pierre-Luc Dubois will make a decision. I mean, this is a guy who uh, flat out said he wasn't ready to make a decision on his long-term future at 23 years old. And we'll see how things turn out. I mean, at the end of last year, uh, a lot of people may not have been ready to make that kind of commitment. Uh, we know the Jets want to sign him. We know that, uh, I mean, the reason Kevin Shovelday up didn't say anything is because he doesn't like talking about contract negotiations. I mean, that's not new. That's the same same message for 12 seasons. Um, but let's not kid ourselves. Kevin Cheveldayoff knows how important it is for him to get Pierre-Luc Dubois signed. I mean, he's the centerpiece of a trade involving two first-round draft picks, including the second overall pick in 2016. So he knows how important it is to get that taken care of, no matter how it turns out. Um, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois, I mean, people going crazy because Pierre-Luc Dubois hasn't been lighting it up in the preseason. I mean, come on, folks. Most players just try to get through the preseason when the season yeah, starts. No. Like, this yeah. is it makes me laugh. So uh, we see effort from Pierre-Luc Dubois every single day. If people are worried about his engagement, they should have been at the practice and the scrimmage when Pierre-Luc Dubois got into a stick-swinging competition with Logan Stanley. And then the next shift, he stole the puck from Logan Stanley and stuffed it into the net. So this is not a guy who lacks intensity or engagement. So... Uh, I'm thinking that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to have an excellent season. Where that leads, I have no idea. Um, he's not giving a lot of clues. I think for him it was important to say what was on his mind. He got it out He got it out of the way, and now he's going to focus on playing hockey, which is what we expected from the very beginning. I'm, I would put it this way. Pierre-Luc Dubois is not going home every day waiting for his phone to ring to find out where he's been traded to. That's not how it's going to play out. Pierre-Luc Dubois is ready to have his best season as a pro, he knows what's at stake for him, both individually and for the team. And I would think that he's going to be a very important player for this team. Someone had asked if they if we see him as part of the leadership group. I think he is part of the leadership group, but I'm not sure if there is a letter that's going to accompany that. He has worn a letter regularly during training camp. This could go one of two ways. Either the Jets give them the letter to say, this is what you could be part of, or they give the letter to players who have already committed a little bit more long-term. And I'm not sure which way that's going to go. Yeah. Um, okay, we should wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> man, it's good to be back. Good to be getting the uh, the digs in here. Uh, I, I absolutely love this. Love interacting with the audience. Love it when you guys come at us. I love the mom and dad comments. I got to say, T. Will, <laughs> T. Will has oh, been sorry. on me this entire time. Randy's the master of the teaser. There's nothing this guy can't do. I know how firmly planted your tongue is in your cheek when you make these comments too well. I just got to say this. I think you should give that shirt to Rob, send it back here. I'm going to find a way to erase my name off that shirt after the hard time you gave me here. Like today. the tattoos. I eh? like the tattoos. You got to try, <laughs> try to erase that. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's shut this down. This was a ton of fun. Uh, I, can't, I can't wait to get back at this full time. And once again, just want to give a, a shout out to uh, our sponsors, Cambrian Credit Union, the Johnson Group, 
And of course, Vittorio Rossi, newly on board. Um, you guys know the drill. If you appreciate the conversations that are be ha- being had in these spaces with the loss of all talk sports radio in this market, if you appreciate these conversations, appreciate the businesses like Cambrian, like Johnston Group, and like Vittorio Rossi, who are investing to make sure these conversations happen. We are really happy that they're doing so. We hope you are too. And if you're heading in a direction to, to give some support to some local businesses, uh, please do so uh, in our name if you can. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Ken, when are we going to do this again? One more time before the end I of think next, camp? let's say next Monday from Albi and Banff, but uh, I think we're going to try for next Monday out of the weekend. We'll have, a, we'll have the preseason completely wrapped up, and then there'll be just under a week before the season begins. But let's, let's shoot for next Monday. All right. Uh, hope to have you all there. Uh, thanks uh, also to Winnipeg Sports Talk for sending people our way, as they always do. Really appreciate it. Uh, can't wait to talk to everybody next Monday. We will talk to you then.